Welcome and thank you for joining us. At Worship Harvest, we believe that we are a movement of the gospel, discipleship and mission. And we are committed to catalyzing spiritual, social and economic renewal in our immediate communities and as a result, the world. Here is this week's teaching. Questions about their business and are asking, do I have value that I bring? Do I really have value? Am I really making a difference? Am I really making a dent? Is our organization changing things? Is the ministry I'm running really changing things? And you're asking yourself, do I have value? And so I'm here to speak to you today, and I believe that by the time we're done with this day, you will be really encouraged and uplifted. Now, a little bit about myself. Um, uh, I, I've had an up and down story in so many ways. I, I am no stranger to failure, and I'm also no stranger to success. I have been uh, one of the best in areas where I've been. I've sometimes also not done very well. I've had, um, a, a, you know, times where I've struggled, and I've had times of success. And there is something that I see stringing through my life, which is resilience. And so one of the things that I usually bring into a space I am in is something about resilience and bouncing back. You know, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 9.4, but for him who is joined to the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. A living dog is better than a dead lion. I have had, um, uh, I've, I've ever done P3 twice, P4 twice. I have, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, and it was mine. I went to P4, went back to P3, then Kusinzidad and came back. Um, long story, but um, I, I wrote about that in one of my books. Um, um, when my colleagues finished S6, I had six years out of university, um, um, but still I got into university as a mature age uh, student. Um, I did my master's and MBA. I was supposed to finish in two years, and then something happened, and I still soldiered on. And so there's a whole thing of bouncing back. The whole thing of resilience is something that has actually dictated my life and my story in so many ways. So for me, failure is not a, a death sentence. It's not an end. Failure is an opportunity to begin again. Failure is an opportunity to re-examine yourself. Failure is an opportunity for you to say, wait a minute, how did I get this wrong? How can I get this right? And then you actually move forward. Um, I've worked with businesses. Um, I'm a business coach. I, I coach businesses. And, and one of the things that I have found Sometimes businesses call you in and, and, and everything is a mess. Um, the employees don't want to work. There are losses that are being made. So much is going on in many of those places. And, and I find that if they believe in their value, if they believe in what they are going to be doing and delivering onto the marketplace, what usually happens is they bounce back and they deliver value. One of my clients, um, uh, for example, um, before I started working with them, uh, last year, I won't say what figure they were making, but in just one year of working with them, their annual revenue, um, I started working with them last year, by the end of last year, their annual revenue multiplied by 7.5 times. And this was a company that wasn't necessarily doing well. I believe in bouncing back. I believe in resilience. And that's one of the value, the values that I bring, the, part of the value that I usually bring in a space that I'm in. For me, failure is, is a challenge. It says we can do this again. So if you are 
a person who has failed, a business person who has failed, and you're in an undesirable space. Maybe your business was non-essential, declared non-essential during lockdown. Let's take it. Uh, or it could be that you as a staff were declared non-essential and some of us probably have even been laid off and you're dealing with some of that. I want to encourage you, don't believe the lie that you are invaluable. Don't believe the lie that you have no value. Don't believe the lie that you are useless. You have value. You have an irreplaceable value that is resident on the inside of you. The Bible says that a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked fall by calamity. Even whether it's in terms of righteousness, in terms of right standing with God and right living, or it's in, you know, it could, I, I personally extend this into all areas of my life. It doesn't matter how many times you fall, you can rise again. Your contribution is absolutely necessary and priceless in the grand scheme of things. That business won't start if you don't start it. That business won't grow if you don't grow it. But if you don't believe in the value that you bring, it won't happen. Your neighbors will keep living in fear if you don't implement that neighborhood watch idea that you have. Your village will be known as one of the poorest until you step up and change the story. There's a place in life that only you can occupy. There is value that only you can deliver and you need to step up. There are gifts you have that when you apply them, they change the game, they change everything. There's passion you have that others don't have. There are experiences you have that can't be replicated by anyone else and when you bring that into the place, in your workplace, into your life and in the lives of people around you, everything changes. Everyone has irreplaceable value. And I'd like to encourage you to find it, grow it, and deliver it. Find it, grow it, and deliver it. I'd like to talk to us from Acts chapter 15, from verse 36 um, uh, to 41. And that's going to be our main text for study today. It says, um, then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go now back, let's, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached of the, of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. I'd like to talk about us real quick about six pillars, six pillars for irreplaceable value. Six pillars for irreplaceable value. Some of these things you have heard, but I'm going to ask that you pay careful attention. Even as I share some of these things, it could give you a fresh understanding to a lot. In verse 36 to 37, it says, Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John Mark. 
What I see here is Paul had a totally different uh, vision from the one that Barnabas had. Paul wanted to go back to the churches and strengthen them. Paul wanted to go back and see how churches are doing. His idea was when we plant a church, we need to keep on going back to visit. His work was church planting and strengthening the churches. Barnabas had a totally different idea. From the way I see it, Barnabas' idea was to just, not to just, but it was an important thing to develop people. He was a people developer. He always wanted to get people who are rough on the edges but are high-capacity leaders and, and draw them. And even as we look at this story, you're going to see that that is true in so many ways. So there were different visions. And I can tell you that vision separates. Vision separates. So, so here's the thing. If you have a totally different vision from the place where you are working, from the place where you are serving, it's better that you leave. It's best that you leave. Because you see, vision separates and you cannot exist in a place where there is a different vision from the one you are actually subscribing to. Vision separates. But also, contention thrives in a place of division. Where there is two visions, you cannot actually coexist. There will always be one fighting against another. You're either going, and you know, it can even be good things. For Paul, it was church planting. For Barnabas, it was people development. It could be good things. It could be that, you know, you're in a business where one director wants to get into fast-moving goods and another wants to get into a service industry. And there is contention in vision. I tell you that wherever there is division, there is contention. But also, you, and, and, and here is how I personally describe value. It's a very simple way. I see value as usefulness. If you're valuable, you're useful. It's that simple. And I know that the textbooks say it so many different ways, but if you're valuable, you are useful. That's it. Right? Now, value and vision are actually inseparable twins. You see, every vision needs valuable people, but also valuable people are deemed valuable because they move a particular vision forward. So one of the things about irreplaceable value is if you are serving a vision, make sure that you're moving it forward and you'll always find that you're irreplaceable. Direct your irreplaceable value. Clarify the vision if you're a business leader. Commit to it and grow it, just like Paul and Barnabas did. But the other thing is about strategy. The second pillar is about strategy. Um, we've been reading a book um, in the Worship Harvest Circles recently called Winning by Jack Welch, and it's a book that really rocks your world concerning business and organizational leadership. And he talks about strategy as getting your aha, this differentiator thing about you. What differentiates you from the rest of the world? whether it's as an individual or as a business. When you get that, that gives you, um, marks you different. It, it's, it's, it's something you must bite into, run after, and follow through. It could be that you're about organizational health or people development. It could be that you're about building systems or talent development. It could be different things. But what's that thing that separates you? And it may not be that this is bad and the other is good. No, it's the thing that makes you different. But he also says, put your best people on that aha uh -huh, and also put your best resources on that. So in order for you to crystallize your irreplaceable value, 
it's actually important for you to find that thing that makes you separate, that strategy, that thing that is different. Stick to it and resource it. One of the men I totally respect, um, and I struggle to call him this, but he always insists that we call him Tusu. I, I struggle with that because I, I, I wasn't raised that way, but we call him Tusu. He is uh, Pastor Angela's dad. He said something that has never left me in 2017 when he was teaching a class at Harvest Institute. He said, concerning values, which is the third pillar, values is the line which when crossed, we fight. Values is the line which when crossed, we fight. Could it be that Paul and Barnabas had a fight around values? Could it be that sometimes you are deemed useless or useful based on values? Paul seemed to be a guy of having a strong work ethic. Barnabas, on the other hand, seemed to value loyalty. Paul seemed to be a guy who is about fulfilling commitments. If you commit to something, do it. Barnabas seemed to be a guy who says, you know, let's have a work-life balance. If someone is tired, they can go. If they are scared, they can go. Paul seemed to be a guy who is saying, let's align. If I'm leading a team, I need you to follow. I need you to fall in line and let's get things done. Ah, Barnabas seemed to be like, you know, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And can I tell you what? All those things are good. All those things work. But you need to know what is the value set within the organization where you work if you're an employee. Because you will be rendered um, useless or unvaluable if you're not aligned to the values. But if you're aligned to the values of the place, you will always be a person of irreplaceable value. You know, in Acts 15.38 it says, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had, this is the reason, who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. That was Paul's problem. That guy hadn't worked. Acts 12 to 25 says that, you know, um, if you just backtrack a little bit, Paul and Barnabas, um, actually at this point Paul hadn't been called uh, uh, Paul yet. The Bible says, and Barnabas and Saul, who is Paul, returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. They had taken some gifts and things like that to um, Jerusalem. And they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. So they brought him along with them. In Acts 13 verse 5, it says, And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. So this was John Mark's job. He was an assistant, an administrative assistant. He was supposed to help them to be able to deliver the stuff they were meant to deliver. He had a job to do. So when they were on mission, it was a team. Paul did some things, Barnabas did some things, and then John Mark was meant to do certain things. Now, lo and behold, the Bible tells us in Acts 13, 13, now when Paul and his party set sail from uh, Paphos, they came to Paga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. As in, he aborted the mission. Now, I do not know why John aborted the mission. It could be 
that he was tired. It could be that he was scared. It could be that he was missing his mommy and he needed to go back home, suck his thumb, and have mommy give him a hug. It could be that, you know, the fasting around Paul was too much. He's like, I need to eat some food. It could have been like, you know, this is too much. We do not know why John Mark left. But there are global studies which show again and again that 78% of employees are disengaged from their workplace. Can you believe that? 78%. Could it be that he was just one of these employees who are not engaged in the workplace? Other global studies reveal, and I got this from uh, a, a small article on Forbes.com uh, that uh, talks about 10 shocking work statistics you need to know. It was written by David Strutt and, uh, Todd, and Todd Nordstrom. It says that, they, they, they show that other global studies reveal that 79% of people who quit their jobs cite a lack of appreciation as their reason for leaving. People don't leave companies, they leave their bosses. Could it have been on the other hand that he was slaving away and he's feeling unappreciated or has been unappreciated by, by the guys who are leading the team? Whatever the reasons are, whatever the organization, whatever the partnership you may be in, Align values or else you will have to fight yourselves into the grave. Align values and aligning values actually creates harmony. You know, I used to work in a place uh, where I struggled. I didn't believe in kickbacks, but um, some of the people I, be I worked with believed in kickbacks. You know the kickback story in Uganda. And um, <laughs> one day, I, you know, we did work. We thanked the people who gave us the work. And then... Um, uh, my colleagues say, we need to give a gift to the person who gave us the business. I said, but we said, thank you, say, we need to give a gift. Um, at that time, I hadn't yet grown a steel spine um, concerning this matter. So I, I went, uh, you know, we said, okay, let's buy a book and uh, some money gift to just go and say thank you. And I sheepishly walked to this person and I gave them this. And by the way, they are a member of Worship Harvest right now. They weren't then, but they are members of Worship Harvest now. And, and, and by the way, I was uh, in church. Okay. So, so I, I arrived. It's so difficult, eh? When you know what you're doing is fake. So, so I arrive and, and you, I put the, 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 the gift on the table. I said, <laughs> I, I, we just wanted to say thank you so much for, for the business and what. So she, she opens the pack looks at it, there's a book, and looks at it, and she says, what is this? I don't need this. We, we asked you to work on this on merit, and she pushed it toward me. I walked out of that place, absolutely ashamed, feeling so fake, and I decided in my heart, in my life, I will never, ever, ever do something where my values are not aligned. I will never. And it doesn't matter who you are. I love you, but I am not doing it if my values are not aligned. So, qualify your irreplaceable value. Identify your values, live by them, and fight for them. Paul and Barnabas were fighting because of values. That was the thing. The fourth pillar is deploy solid winning teams. In Acts 15, verse 39 to 41, it says, Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. 
But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God, and they went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. You see, here's one of the things. As we build teams, as we work together, we are going to contend. But I'm going to ask that you learn to fight fair. When we're getting married, uh, Pastor Franco Onaga, uh, who was one of our counselors, to told us, told us, oh yeah, yeah. So he told us, he told us about fighting fair. And this is what he said. Um, when there is an issue, instead of you standing on one side of the issue and your partner is standing on the other side and saying, the problem with you is, the problem with you is, what you need to do is stand together on one side and say, we are in this together, but we have this problem. We are in this together, but we have this problem. And that seems to be something that happened even with Paul. But you see, as we have contention, it's important that we do not sin. In your anger, don't sin. On teams, we disagree, but do not sin. You're going to find that in other places, 1 Corinthians 9, 6, uh, Paul actually commends Barnabas as a, as a worthy worker which people should give to. And that really means that their fight did not part them. It wasn't the type that tears down. It was the type where, well, they didn't agree and they parted company. So in building strong teams, as you actually uh, multiply and expand your value, it's going to be important that you fight, but fight fair. Patrick Lencioni, in his book, Five Dysfunctions of Teams, talks about um, five levels that teams need to go through. Build trust, but also have conflict, healthy conflict, so that you can be able to commit to results and be accountable and deliver them. I will just move on now to something that I think is important. One of the powerful things that happened um, uh, when Paul and, and Silas were parting, and, and this is really about team selection. Um, Barnabas seemed to know what he's doing. So what he did is he chose um, uh, John Mark and says, I'm going with him. Because Barnabas' idea is about people development. So he says, look, I'm just, I know my guy. I'm going with this guy. I believe in him. Off we go. Paul, um, and, and I know many of us are not like that, was not as gifted. And, you know, in this book, Winning, that I've talked to you about, there's, uh, Jack Welch does a very good job there of how you select teams because, you see, you need teams to be able to expand your irreplaceable value. But this is what happened, and I see this in this story. Paul stopped, evaluated, and was able to eliminate possible choices and actually choose somebody. You see, what happens is Paul, the Bible says in Acts 15.22, Paul chose Silas, but in Acts 15, 22, it talks about the fact that, you know, when Paul was with Barnabas in Jerusalem, um, it pleased the apostles and the elders of the whole church um, to send chosen men of their company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Basabas, and Silas. And this is the qualifier, leading men among the brethren. So Paul chose a leader. Silas was a leader. The second reason why Paul chose Silas is he had a good reputation. If the apostles in Jerusalem say he's a good guy, you better believe it. So some of us have people on our teams who don't have a strong recommendation. Also, Silas was a gifted man. He was a prophet in Acts 15.32. It talks about the fact that now Judas and Silas themselves being prophets also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. He was getting a guy who was going to lift weights. But he also chose a loyal man. In Acts 15, 32, 33 to 34, it says 
that after they had stayed, uh, this is uh, Silas and Judas, after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to, apost to the apostles. They said, you go back to Jerusalem. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain in Antioch. Paul chose a guy who stays. Remember, his problem with John Mark was the guy left. Right? He chose a guy who stays. Your irreplaceable value won't be amplified if you choose the wrong team, friends. Amplify your irreplaceable value. Choose a solid winning team, keep them motivated, and keep them acting. Now, even as I begin to wrap up, there are two things that I really wanted to talk about. The first is a big elephant in the room. Failure. So what if you fail? So what if you fail? The last time I checked, failure is not a death sentence. And I want to ask you a question. What would have happened if Paul had not lost John Mark, a man who was incongruent with his values, and continued to work with him on their team? Would he have planted the number of churches that he planted? But also, what would Bonabas have lost if he did not dig in and fight for the value he saw in John Mark? Because he was a people developer, it was important to him. One of the things that I would like to encourage you this morning is to fail fast and fail forward. Fail fast and fail forward. We must be ready to fail. Because you see, and not that we intentionally do it, but it should be okay if you're trying to do something great and you fail. It should be okay. It should be okay. That way we learn fast. The fear of failure is the biggest hindrance to the progress of many people. It's the reason for paralysis by analysis. Doing nothing because you're trying to make sure that you're hedged from every side so that you don't fail. It's okay to fail if you're going to do something great. There is no perfect decision. There is no perfect hour. There is no perfect day to act. Perfection is worked with continuous improvements. The Japanese got it right. Kaizen. You keep improving day by day. The Bible even says he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Even God knows that perfection is something that we work toward. Henry Ford, a great manufacturer, said, failure is simply the opportunity to begin again. This time, more intelligently. A great American inventor, Thomas Edison, famously quipped, I didn't fail a thousand times. The light bulb was invented with 1,000 steps. Thanks to his persistent persistence and masterful uh, control of his failure, of his fear of failure, Edison not only invented the incandescent light bulb, but also received a record 1,093 patents. He invented 1,093 aspects or things, either alone or jointly with others. Inventions like the phonograph, the movie camera, you've been to the movies, that's Thomas Edison. The carbon microphone, the vacuum diode, and dozens and dozens and dozens more. Why? Because he managed his fear of failure. But also if you fail, I'd like to suggest to you that you laugh your way out of failure. 
Absolutely. Both laughing about it because, look, if you don't laugh, what, what are you going to do? Cry and die? No, laugh. But also, just consider this acronym. It's L-A-F-F-E. Laugh. L-A-F-F-E. Listen and understand what your customers are saying or what your boss is saying. Because sometimes you fail because you haven't got it right what it needs to be done. If you don't know the top priorities in your workplace, if you don't know the top priorities for the business you run, it's going to fail. So listen and understand what's going on. But if you've also failed, apologize. Look, just say, I am sorry. One of the things I have learned is I say sorry. It doesn't matter how many times, and I really mean it, I am sorry and I keep trying until I get it right. Just say sorry. There's a study uh, done by uh, the Nottingham School of Economics that found that unhappy customers are more willing to forgive a company that offers an apology as opposed to being compensated. Compensation only retains 23% of customers. 45% of customers are retained when you apologize, say, look, we are sorry, we got it wrong. So apologize. Find a solution. That's the first F. Find a solution to the problem. If someone has a complaint, find a solution. Why do you scatter around it? I, I, I say, for example, for Joseph, if someone, for some reason, with all the quality, for all the things, if something is wrong with that T-shirt, apologize and go find a solution. Print it again. And follow up with your customer or follow up with your boss and check, are, are we okay? Have I got it right? Should I check? Is this just right? Check on, check on them. And finally, exceed expectations. Because we've been told, don't just deliver. Over. Deliver. So, expand your irreplaceable value. Fail fast, fail forward, and laugh your way out of failure. But the last thing I want to say even as I close is there are no useless people in life. There are only undeveloped ones. Let me say that again. There are no useless people in life. There are only undeveloped ones. You see, Paul and Silas measured their wins differently. Paul was about church planting and the health of the church. Church systems and that kind of thing. John Mark at that point had not yet developed, I believe, to a point where he's able to fit into a system that works like that. John, um, uh, Barnabas, on the other hand, measured his win by, if I see a rough diamond, if I see someone who has capacity and they can be able to become something greater, that is my guy and that's what I'm going to go for. But I'll tell you something. Whatever your measurement of success is, I want you to know there are no useless people, but there are undeveloped people. You need to become doggedly committed to finding the flames of value to finding the flames of usefulness in people, to train them, to equip them until the world sees value in them. We celebrate, we celebrate Pastor B3 here in Worship Harvest and we do not know that the story started over a decade ago with a discipleship journey with Pastor Mose. He found those flames. The world is celebrating B3 right now because there's someone who was finding the flames. A recent study by Career Builder, and I'm wrapping up, shows that a whooping 58% of managers said they did not receive 
any management training. 58%. So we have a bunch of leaders who aren't trained on how to lead. You want them to lead, but how? You need to refine your oars into desired articles, into the shining article. Many of the times we want to go and shop for the shiny article, but look, who made it shiny? Who got that rough iron ore and actually refined it into this great thing? Someone did it. You need to see value in stock before the prices rise. Barnabas believed in Saul even long before anyone did. Saul had been a murderer. Saul had persecuted the church, but Barnabas believed in him. You need to carry people over the line. You see, as I close, I want you to think about this. Paul, who has once thrown out John Mark off his team, got to a point, and please listen carefully, listen carefully, got to a point and wrote these two statements about John Mark. In Colossians 4.10, the Bible says, Paul writes and says, Architas, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. About him you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justus, they are, listen to what Paul is saying about him, they are my fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. The once useless John Mark is now someone that Paul is celebrating and he's saying, that's a person of value. He comforts me. Second Timothy chapter 4, 9 and 11. I'm going to be closing with this. Paul writes saying, be diligent to come to me quickly. Paul had been rejected. He was abandoned. He was in a place of need. This is Paul. And he writes saying, be diligent to come to me quickly. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved the present world and has departed to Thessalonica. Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful for my ministry. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is useful for my ministry. Friends, we need to harness the irreplaceable value in people. Define how to measure it, pursue it, stay committed to finding those flames and it will come through. Barnabas stayed with John Mark to a point where Paul said, you must come to me and make sure you bring John Mark because he is useful to me. He has value. I value John Mark. So I want to wrap up saying, everyone, every single person on the earth has irreplaceable value. Find it grow it, and deliver it. Even as the team comes, um, I'm going to ask the team to come and Pastor Mose to come and help us wrap this up. I just want you to know that the value that God has placed on the inside of you has always been there. But do you know it? Have you found a way of expanding it? Do you have a strategy to grow it? Or when you see it in others, are you able to say, I see this in you and you're able to fan the flame and carry them to the finish line so that they can shine. I can hear the sound of a new generation. 
Thank you for listening to this teaching. We hope that you've been blessed by the Worship Harvest Sermon Series. For more teachings and other resources, visit www.worshipharvest.org or call 0393-281-555. That is 0393-281-555.